Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Anyone been to the zoo lately? If you're a parent, that's one of the go-tos, except it's getting so expensive. Um, if you've been to a zoo um, any, anywhere in the world, chances are you may have observed a phenomenon which is known as zoocosis. Has anyone heard of the word zoocosis? Zoocosis. Well, obviously, um, a zoo is an establishment um, where live animals are kept. They're kept for public display, for educational purposes, um, for conservation, and sometimes even for research. We um, were really blessed. Um, on long service leave, we went over to Queensland and went to Australia Zoo. And man, it was just phenomenal. And part of their real ethos is cons- conservation and research, and it was actually amazing. But zoos typically, they um, are these controlled environments and they attempt to mimic the natural environment of the animals. They're not the natural environment of the animals, but they attempt to mimic. So what happens, because it's just a mimic, um, and despite every intention of, of people to, to create a, um, a, a natural environment, what happens is that animals actually, um, zoocosis happens to animals. And what happens because they have this limited space and um, they, they get bored and um, they, they, they start to exhibit behaviour which is not normal to them. I don't know if you've ever noticed a lion just, just keeps pacing around like the right track. You know, there are some zoos where you could actually see the track and it's like this, this tiger or this lion has just kept walking around and around. And Have you ever seen an animal do that? Just keeps walking around and around and around. There are some animals that um, they, 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 um, they kind of pull out their hair or um, they, um, they just rock back and forth and, uh, or do this excessive grooming. There's abnormal behavior which happens because despite the best efforts of, um, of everyone to create an environment which is natural to this um, animal, a zoo is still a zoo, despite the best efforts. The lion is still in a cage. People are still over there looking and staring and pointing. And it doesn't matter what you feed that lion, the lion can still smell the hot dogs and the hot chips and still smell it. And um, the lion still has to sleep in this artificial cave. And the best possible option, the best possible scenario for the lion is to adapt, to tolerate, and to exist. It is a phenomenon that is known as zoocosis. Now, I am not suggesting for one moment that we are animals which are caged up at the moment. (laughs) Maybe some churches do that. We don't do that here. (laughs) Actually, anyway, let's not go there. But what I am suggesting is that we we are living in a world where people, very often, they experience this kind of, a kind of zoocosis, becoming weary, becoming anxious, and just existing, just existing. Last week, um, I started off the message by just throwing this out there, an idea, a suggestion, that a defining feature in the life of the modern world is a growing awareness of society's inhumanity and our inability to imagine a way out of it. 
And someone might say, I know the answer to that, Dave. We just need to get people into church. And I've got to be honest, I've looked at churches, I'm a senior pastor, and I think a lot of the times we as, as churches, we, we try to help people manage the disorders of the world instead of actually untangling ourselves from the disorders of the world because that's a lot more harder. Have you heard people um, in conversation when you ask them, how are you doing? I'm just trying to make it through. I'm just getting by. I'm just surviving. You know what, Dave? Just one day at a time. We have living in this world where it seems that existence is something to be tolerated, where time seems to be a burden to be carried. And there is an underlying ideology that most of us are born into, especially those of us born into a Western world. I know we have people who were born in different nations, different countries, and I'm suggesting it might be a little bit different. Um, in those places. But there is an underlying, underlying ideology of today's Western world that most of us have bought into and we may not even be aware of it. And the ideology is simply this. I am my own and I belong to myself. I am my own and I belong to myself. Being part of a liberal democracy means that there are values of self-rights and my own values and individuality and a fragmentation in society which actually leans towards an atomization and it's all undergirded by this ideology, I belong to me, I'm myself, I own myself and um, I belong to myself. And the idea is that in order to be truly free, in order to be truly human, I just need to get rid of every restraint. I need to get, off, get, get rid of everything that's restricting me, everything that's limiting me. And if I can get off rid of every single restraint, I'm going to be truly free. I'm going to be truly human. It's an ideology. It's a philosophical ideology of this anthropology of what it means to be human. The problem is it sounds okay, right? Imagine that. Like, I can just throw off every restraint. Man, I can go out and I can eat whatever I want. Man, I'm going to go get a KFC hot and spicy bucket. I'm going to eat that old sucker by myself. You know, just go, I can do whatever I want. Even though Andrea says no, I say yes. Could you imagine how my marriage is going to work then? <laughs> the problem is, of course, it's just not working, is it? It's just not working. Our standard of living in the world has actually increased. Over the last couple of decades, you can look at the research, poverty around the world has actually decreased. Standard of living has increased all around the world. We've still got a lot of work to do. Yep, absolutely. But the standard of living has increased. The quality of life? I don't think that there's necessarily a correlation with the standard of living and the quality of life. Because our standard of living has all increased, but the quality of life, I think there's a question mark around that. Let me throw this out there, okay? Just think about this, just like over the next week or so, just like ponder about this. Cost of living is increasing. I actually don't think that cost of living increasing should affect your quality of life. It doesn't need to affect your peace. It doesn't need to affect your joy. It doesn't need to. Yes, there are things that are changing, but we can actually live in such a way that our quality of life actually remains good or is improving if maybe I'm touching on a question mark over your life and you say, you know what, I reckon the quality of our life needs to increase a little bit. Is that okay? So on paper, this ideology of I am my own, I belong to myself, man, that looks good. I've got to be honest. As someone who's supposed to be a spiritual leader, I'm looking at it saying, man, that looks pretty good. The problem is it's not working. 
Alan Noble, he uh, makes this comment about this ideology and he says, to be your own and to belong to yourself means that the most fundamental truth about existence is that you are responsible for your own existence and everything that it entails. The reality is, is that if we buy into that ideology, it comes with a crushing burden. Because if I honestly believe that ideology, that means that if there is no God to judge me or to justify me, I am responsible for justifying myself. And that is a burden which is absolutely crushing. And it is outworked in our world today. If you, if you actually think about that ideology and it's outworking, it is outworked everywhere because there is this desperate need to justify my life through crafting my identity, by branding my identity. So all of a sudden, it is amazing to me that we've got this plethora of influences all over the world. Isn't that amazing? I'm a social media influencer. We've got thought leaders. Oh, my goodness. Is anyone a thought leader here? Oh my gosh, we've got like, like, it amazes me on social media, the amount of people, I'm just like, like, like a husband, right? And, um, but but the, the amount of like, people who are like public figures on, on social media, it is astounding. We have so many public figures, we have so many influences. What is that all about? I need to justify myself. Makes sense, right? That even happens in Christianity. Because Christians and titles, man. Something funny happens when we get titles, doesn't it? Because titles often are used to justify our own existence. You know, lately I've been thinking about a Christian leader and a title has been removed from this person and it is being outplayed all over the world. And for me, I just want to think about that. I want to ponder that. I want to learn some lessons about that. And not even that, in the Christian world, have you noticed that we've got apostle this and we've got prophet that? We've got so many titles out there. Feel free just to call me Dave. That's who I am. I'm a brother in Christ. But we've got all of these titles. And like sometimes we don't even know we have an idol in our life until that title is removed. And then the title is removed and then like you don't even know yourself anymore. Well, we still try to justify ourselves even in the church. And I know like for me, I've got to be very careful with that. I try very, very hard to, to actually hold this, this stewardship of leadership very, very, very lightly. Um, if God says go, well, we're going to be going because I want to hold this very lightly. This church does not belong to me. This church belongs to him, doesn't it? And all of us together, like I might serve as a senior pastor, but like my serving as a senior pastor, yeah, there are some, some, some unique things about it, but I'm no more important than like, like, like um, um, Aaron who serves on the coffee machine or someone who serves like in children's. There is like, we're all the same, right? Like being part of the family means we're all doing this together. Isn't that right? So we want to hold this kind of lightly, but we're in this world that is actually trying to actually justify their own existence. And if we can even understand that, I don't think we should be pointing fingers and saying, oh, you, you're just trying to prop yourself up. We need to actually understand, wait a minute, this person, let's have some compassion, this person is just trying to justify themselves. They don't even know who they are. Maybe we can help them with that. Maybe we can have a conversation about the story of God. So... What I mentioned last week is that there's at least three steps to actually try to untangle us from this lie. The first one's to identify the um, ideology. Second one's to try and untangle us from its grip. And then the third one is to live an alternate life in Jesus. And this is not 
easy. Stephen, can we chuck up that goal slide, the goal miss plan slide up again? There we go. Goal miss slide. We're all living in the mess. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this present evil age or this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That there is a pattern, there's a rhythm in this world. What's one of the underlying um, things that forms that current, that pattern? An ideology. I am my own. I belong to myself. Let's identify that. You know, we can memorise um, verses, but if it says, don't, don't be conformed to the pattern, okay, let's go a little bit deeper. What exactly is the pattern? I am my own and I belong to myself. Okay, let's actually interrogate that ideology and see to what extent it's actually infiltrated my heart, Dave Ryder, that is. I'm talking to myself. That ideology, make no mistake, has infiltrated your senior pastor, my heart, and I'm trying to untangle myself. Anyone else trying to untangle themselves from that lie? Right? Because I'm trying to do that. And it's an absolute lie. It's an absolute lie. I am my own and I belong to myself. Anyone got a social media account with anything? Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok? Right, anyone? Most people? Let me ask you a question. Have you paid anything for it? No. Do you get anything from it? Okay, so, so, so here's the deal, right? You didn't pay anything for it. You don't get anything from it. You're actually the product of it, and so am I. All right? Now, that doesn't mean we disengage. We just need to be aware of it, okay? But that's what that means, right? I mean, like, I'm not paying anything for it. They're not giving me any money. I'm not an influencer, obviously. I reckon that word influencer, like, if you get any money from this, then you can call yourself an influencer. I don't know. What about, does anyone use um, a cloud for your storage? Well, you don't own that stuff. Did you know that? You don't own it. What about, like, a streaming service like Netflix or... We don't own that. I subscribe. Here's the thing. We are in less control than what we actually think if we actually start thinking about some stuff, okay? We live in this world, so we need to be engaged. I mentioned last week, as a parent, you have to be engaged. You don't necessarily have to participate, but you need to be engaged with what's happening because your kids, like my kids, well, they're going to grow up and they are going to be launched out into this world. And if we are not engaged in the conversation, there is absolutely no leadership we can give them. There is no guidance. So for that reason, I need to be engaged. I need to know what's happening. And it is tricky to know what's happening. So we live in this world, so be engaged. But we're not of this world, so don't be tricked. Okay? Part of the mess is this rhythms of this age. Okay? Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. And the reason why I like that goal mess plan is for this series, we're wanting to look at this goal aspect, the goal aspect. If we're going to untangle ourselves from the mess, let's relook at this gold aspect. And we've titled this series Image. And we actually find that word in this passage of Scripture. So from verse 26, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock, and over the animals, all over the um, creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Isn't it good to know that males and females together, collectively, image God? Isn't that good to know? 
Like, it seems to be like from the goal, there doesn't seem to be like a hierarchy or anything anyway. You know what I'm saying? Does that make the ladies feel happy? All right. Man, I'm like on your side and like you're not giving me any love whatsoever. Seriously. I know. It's a long weekend, but come on. Give, us, give a brother some love. This word image is actually um, quite interesting. And obviously I want to focus on, I only want to talk about one aspect of this. It's a Hebrew word, um, Salem, which is usually translated image. And um, in the context of Genesis, and I understand we've been talking a lot about the cultural context, this period of time known as the ancient Near East. And we've been really challenging our minds in that in order for us to understand Scripture, once again, we live in this liberal democracy. We live in this world where it's about me, my individual rights. And so often we want to understand Scripture on my terms, but that's not going to work. We need to understand Scripture on their terms, ancient Near East, and then apply it to us. So this idea of this image in the ancient Near East in, in Genesis it wasn't this intangible kind of spiritual kind of thing, idea. It was a concrete idea. It was an idea that you could actually see, you could touch. It was a physical thing. In the ancient Near East, the word which is translated image, it had a, a sister word which was often used. And, and it sort of was this idea of this idol or this statue or a physical representation of a king or a deity. In the ancient Near East, a king who conquered a vast territory couldn't, obviously couldn't be there in every place physically. That's impossible but for a king, right? So what would happen and what could happen is that he would set up an image of himself all over the place in the far reaches of his kingdom. And the statues were not the king, but they represented the king. And they served as a reminder of that king's rule. So it wasn't the king, but it was the image of the king. It was all over the place, and it was a reminder. It represented something. Temples in the ancient Near East and temples today had idols in them, statues in them. It's quite interesting that Israel's temple didn't have an idol in it, didn't have a statue in it. There are theologians who've looked at um, the, the Genesis narrative and, and, and they've actually looked at ancient Near East culture and, and, and um, resources and they've said, you know what, God in the Genesis narrative, he is building, he is constructing, he is creating a temple. The earth is his temple. And then after he creates his temple, he talks about this image not just one image, obviously. Images are scattered all over. Now, if an image is scattered all over the place, and if an image represents their king and also is a reminder of that king's rule, what are the implications of that word? That's a different way of looking at it than I think that a lot of people have. So I think a big implication has to be that... Um, there is something very unique about humanity. Animals are made after their own kind, aren't they? But humanity is made in the image of 
Yahweh. And this idea of ruling and reigning, that is one facet of this, but there also is another facet as well. But I think one of the big implications, if we are to return to the goal, if we are saved from the mess to the goal, then surely that means that when the world sees Paul Gibbs or sees Katie or sees Brett or, you know what, sees me, they should really be seeing something of God because I'm returned. I'm back there to the goal. Does that make sense? That changes a lot, doesn't it? That changes a lot. And part of this series, we're going to go into like vocation and, and work and things like that, but there is one facet of this image which is actually, um, I think, quite intentionally mentioned in Genesis, but something we've been talking about a lot as a church, um, but yet again, I'm going to actually go back to it so we can talk about it again. It's found in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 to 3, where there's some very interesting language which is put, put here. From verse 1 says this, This is a written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God, he created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. Verse 3, we're going to pin this for a moment. When Adam lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Does that language sound familiar? I wonder if they did that by accident. Okay, let's put a pin in that. Again, let's go back and think about the ancient Near East. And let's think about the communication that this group of people that we'll call Israel, that they um, are hearing as they're in this moment. So thousands of years ago, they hear this story. And in their hearing, um, they're hearing about this, this creation narrative um, of Yahweh. But that's not the predominant narrative in the world that they know of at that moment. The Predominant creative narrative, it comes from Babylon. And funnily enough, they're probably um, being captive in Babylon in this moment as they're hearing this, funnily enough. So it kind of makes sense. So they're hearing this Babylonian story about creation, and in this story, humanity are presented as slaves. They're presented as slaves to serve the gods so the gods could take it easy and the gods could sleep. Funny how Yahweh never sleeps, but their gods sleep. Right. And if a human had been made the image of a God, that human was a ruler or a king. All right. If there is a human who is like an image of God or given that that status and they're hearing the story about humanity. That's not slaves, which is great. But you don't even need to be a ruler or a king to be the image either. And that's kind of cool. This is a competing narrative. What Yahweh is doing, there is a predominant story which is happening in the world and he is coming and he's saying, that's wrong, this is the truth. And we could even apply that today because there are a lot of competing narratives even now. And then they start hearing a story about Yahweh and they're running into this deeper understanding, which is like sort of like really, I'm sure it would be kind of exciting, but really jarring in, in light of the context of what they're hearing and what they know from this Babylonian kind of world. 
And then they run into some interesting language and an interesting analogy between Adam and the connection he has with his son called Seth. Verse 3 says, When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. It seems like God's actually wanting to take the story even deeper than they could possibly even imagine. It's one thing for a ruler to be like image and then to go further and say, oh, humanity is like image of God. But there's this analogy between Adam's connection with his son, Seth, and humanity's connection with Yahweh. I don't think that language is an accident. And people who are a lot smarter than me, they don't either. And I'm just running with them because, like, they're a lot smarter than me. Not just powerful kings on the earth, but humanity. Our identity as the image of God is that of kinship. There is something of family that God wants us to know about. And in our world today, family is a hard, hard pill to swallow. Hard, hard pill to swallow. So the dominant story which they know is humanity being slaves to the gods and Yahweh's is different because in his story he bestows on you and me kinship and kingship and we'll get to that later but this idea of family. Genesis narrative lets us know that we as humans are related to God in a way that animals are not. So what is the goal? What's the dream? That God has. Well, God deeply desires for his royal family to rule and reign over creation in the same way that he does, for its good and for its flourishing. With a posture of hospitality and a posture of welcome to those who are other to us, especially creation as other to us. With the wisdom and creativity that he has shown in the narrative as well. I think it's amazing how he creates um, creatures who are other than him. And he rejoices over them. In fact, he blesses them. That's amazing, like for me. So Christians, we do live and we do have this great opportunity of stewardship and kingship. And we will get to that. But I do think that we struggle with kinship. Because the idea of the family challenges the ideology of today. That I am my own and I belong to myself. It completely comes against that ideology. So to begin to untangle the process of this inhumane world means that I need to recognize, I need to think deeply, and I need to participate fully in what it means to belong to my king's family. What does that mean? How do I do that? Because it doesn't sound like there's freedoms in that, because if I'm to think deeply about that, if I'm to step fully into his family, there are implications. There are actually obligations. Anyone like that word, obligations? Guess what? There are responsibilities. There are responsibilities. Anyone like responsibilities? I don't think we like responsibilities, but let me tell you the secret about humanity. We do really well with um, responsibilities, especially us fellas. You give a man responsibility, my goodness, they do good. They do good. Well, most of the time. Well, sometimes. Actually, maybe not. <laughs> 
Responsibility is actually good. There is something about us returning to the goal and coming to terms with at the very beginning, there is this great opportunity and great privilege that we are to rule and to reign and to steward on behalf of God. In other words, to rule and to reign and to steward in the same way that God does it. But before that comes this idea of kinship. We are part of this royal family. And over the last couple of years, we've been intentionally teaching and talking and doing family stuff, haven't we? Have you noticed that? I hope you have. We've been doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I've really put you guys through the mill. We've been closing services. We've been doing different things. Doing the stuff that we've been doing over the last couple of years, let me tell you, it's not a great strategy for numerical church growth. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. It's not a good strategy. I know exactly how to grow a church. I know exactly how to grow, numerically anyway. You just feed consumerism. Because that works. You can do that. That's a piece of, that's a piece of cake. But guess what? It does not unta- untangle you. It doesn't do it. I would like to think that there is something in the heart of the leadership of this church that loves this church too much to allow this church to just go along a track and continue to be tangled up in a world that is increasingly becoming inhumane when the story of God lets us know that flourishment, that order, that humanity is on the cards. I know that. We do our church dinners. About a third of the church rocks up. Fast forward three to five years, our church dinners will be the highlight. It's not there now, but it will be. We didn't have a Mother's Day service. We're not going to have a Father's Day service. What? I was talking to some pastors and they go, what? You know what they said, Dave, you need to tell me how that goes because that sounds really good. But we came together with our youth on a Friday. It was interesting talking to Kayla. Kayla goes, Daddy, I'm not sure they're Christians. I heard them swearing and stuff. So that's great. That's great, baby. That's what we want. We want our teenagers. We want our young adults. I want our, we want everyone to actually love each other, to delight in each other. I want to be family. Family's messy, right? This afternoon, I've got my family coming over for lunch. My sister just got married. I asked her a question. She said, I do. And with that one response... All of a sudden, bang, she had five kids. Imagine that. No kids to five kids with one response. Because her husband's got five kids, and now she does. And now she's a family. And guess what? It's messy. It's awkward. It's gospel. It's gospel. One of my favorite theologians, his name is Timothy Gombus. He thinks outside of the box. And I was listening to a podcast of his a couple of years ago. And I was just thinking about New Spring as he was saying this. He was talking about his church. And he was saying, he was just being honest. He says, I've got to be honest, man. My church is like one of those miserable, small, like just dysfunctional churches I've ever been part of, I've ever known. Like He's talking down his church instead of talking up his church. And then he said this comment, which just like really just resonated with me. And he said, and that's the breeding ground of the gospel. You know, Brett was talking about people, what they think about Armadale. I grew up in Armadale. They're not lying. (laughs) 
I am in Thornley. This is the breeding ground of the gospel. If we can take it out. It is the breeding ground of the gospel. Part of this and part of the last four years, mark my words, we will come to a point. There are going to be so many people who are searching for this. You can't be saying, go speak to Dave, go speak to Brett, go speak to to Matt. You can't be doing that. We actually have to be equipped, all of us, to actually sit down and say, you know what, I don't know everything, but I can tell you the good news of Jesus Christ. I can tell you what the Bible is about. I can tell you what God's dream is. I can tell you what God's desire is. And I can tell you that the avenues and the pathways that the world are going, they're almost there. Because they're searching for the kingdom. But let me introduce you to the king. How good is that? Right? Gets me excited anyway. How beautiful is that? I'm going to end there. Um, If you want to know what partnership is about, partnership is for people who are saying, I am part of the family. That's it. I'm part of the family. You don't need to be part of the family, but we'd love you to be part of the family. It's an open door. But there will be no manipulation. There will be no cohesion. It is of your own free will. And there are a plethora of churches. There are churches that are far better than us. Let me tell you, because we're a messy church. We're a dysfunctional church. And I don't want to actually resist that. There's part of that where I actually want to own and I want to embrace because the gospel tells me that his strength is manifested in our weakness. I want to see the power of God. And if I need to embrace weakness in order to see the power of God, let's try that because the other stuff's not working. Let me pray for you.